Welcome to Women Express. I'm your host, Denise Harrington, and I'm thrilled to be introducing to you my friend and colleague, Darcy Winslow. I've known and worked with Darcy for many years. Our relationship started out at Nike and continues to this very day. We first worked together when I came in to coach her for a major presentation that she was about to give. My experience with her then and the person that she is and the depth of understanding of not only what she does in business, but the depth of understanding of herself, I think will be a conversation worth listening to as we get together in this podcast today. Her bio tells her story and her journey as an executive at Nike and taking her all the way through to be a world-renowned thought leader in sustainability and climate change. So here's her story. Darcy Winslow is the president and co-founder of the Academy of Systems Change, an organization focused on advancing the field of awareness-based systematic change in order to achieve economic, social, and ecological well-being. That's a lot to say, and I think it's a good thing. Darcy also worked at Nike for 21 years and had held several management positions, most notably starting the Sustainable Business Strategy in 1999. She was the Global Director for Research Design and Development. She was a General Manager and VP of Nike Global's Women Footwear and Apparel and Equipment Division and Senior Advisor to the Nike Foundation. Darcy has always, in my opinion, been a powerhouse, and she still is. She was always the only woman at the table when I worked at Nike with her, but she never was a shrinking voice. Darcy is always on the competitive edge, ushering in the new and challenging the old. And with nothing else to say but expletives about you, wonderful, wonderful exclamation points about Darcy, welcome. Thank you, Denise. And I could say a lot of the same things about you. (laughs) We're a good old pair together, aren't we? (laughs) We are. We still have work to do in the world. We have work to do. And you and I are in the process of doing a lot of women's work together. Our different perspectives and the things that we do and across the, the corporate and organizational arena, I think, brings a lot to the table to talk about today. I just want for you to outline your story, because I think in outlining your journey, people will get a sense of the depth of who you really are. Wow. So where to start? Where to start? I would say, first and foremost, I've always been an athlete. And I think through the years of trying a new sport every year, it's really helped me understand how to embrace the unknown, how and when to take risks, how to prepare myself for something new. Certainly, that was true in the sports arena. And I found that also to be very translatable into my professional career. And at, you mentioned a lot of my you know, professional positions that I held. But maybe I'll start with coming into the Nike Sports Research Lab, where I was a biomechanical researcher. And when I was in the lab, it was just amazing to work with other researchers to really understand how athletes functioned and how we created 
you know, first class product for athletes. But one of the things that I found in my early days at Nike was we only tested men. We only tested male athletes. And I remember taking a step back and asking, why do we only test on male athletes? And lo and behold, it was because that's essentially how that worked in the medical field. Most of the early testing was only done on men. And it wasn't until literally just the past four decades where equal testing was done on men and women. And so that was my first aha as to, hmm, this will be an interesting culture to work in. And we came to often say, women are not small men. Girls are not small boys. We are made different. (laughs) And that kind of carried throughout uh, my time at Nike. So after a couple of years in the sport research lab, I moved into product testing and ran that for a couple of years. And again, you know, it was still being a bit on the outside of the business. And then my next job, I was asked to step into product development in footwear. And that was when I first awoke to, wow, this is a male-dominated culture. I was the only female footwear product developer. And that's when I think I really started to find my voice and understand how to operate in a man's world. So maybe I'll just take a pause there. Yeah, I think that that is going directly where I want to go. It has to be difficult to sit in a room with all men and be heard. How did that feel for you? Well, it's interesting. The first trip I ever took to Asia, so we produced all of our product primarily in Asia. And during my first few months of being a product developer, I was working with a Korean gentleman, S.H. Park, who became a dear, dear friend over the years. And so Korea was my first country that I visited. And day one, I walked into the factory where we were working on new product, and it was all men. And I was literally invisible. They would not look at me. They did not acknowledge that I was even in the room. Uh, when I spoke, they wouldn't listen to me. They spoke directly to S.H. Park, and then he would translate it to me. And I had to figure out how was I going to do my job if I was not even being recognized as a person. And, you know, through a series of days and events, I finally realized that I had to earn their trust on their terms and in their culture and not mine. And that served me very, very well in the days and years to come. And when you went back to the corporate environment, those principles that you learned that day were transferable? Uh, To a certain degree, as you probably experienced as well, being the only woman in the room, often you can serve up an idea or an opinion and it also just gets ignored. And a few minutes later, Somebody else in the room, a man, would make the same observation or offer up the same idea. It was like, oh, that's a great idea. I think we should do that. And it was those times, and it happened many, many times, 
where I was really challenged as to, okay, I have a choice now. How am I going to respond or react to this? And, uh, you know, I have to say, sometimes I did it well. Sometimes I got pretty defensive and also found out that that didn't work as well. So it was a real learning journey over the years. And each situation was a bit different, but that that pattern did exist and, you know, was pretty deeply embedded. It is deeply embedded. And the interesting thing, and, and I was going to ask you about this in, in terms of paradigms, some of the my experiences coaching women, they have the exact same experience to this day. There's change. <laughs> there is change. However, I think that teaching others, especially men, how to accept our ideas and our perspective is still something that's ongoing. And how do we sit in a meeting and see our ideas and our thoughts taken by a man and be accepted without feeling defensive, without getting emotional? Sometimes I think our emotions are important just to wake people up. What do you think? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. If you're looking at, you know, how a culture changes over time or how, how a system transforms over time, there are deeply embedded structural or artifacts that you have to recognize in order to be able to respond accordingly. And I'll give you an example. And this relates to, you know, why men are always the first to jump in. One of the most effective or high leverage artifacts in most systems is the reward system. And in the context of business, you know, what are you typically rewarded for? Having the right answer, having the right answer first. And in my experience, women are often more generative listeners, more generative in their dialogue and the questions they ask. And I can remember time after time after time, offering up a question for us to have a dialogue around. And I would be cut off with, well, here's the answer. And we would move right on past it. And so that was one of the skills that I really had to learn was how to open up a conversation rather than question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And when you do that, you rarely get to the deeper understanding of what the challenge is or what the opportunity is. And you stay at that very superficial problem solving in the moment level. That's very interesting because some of the things that I give as tips to women when I'm coaching them is to clearly have a strong point of view and back it up with a strategy. That strategy helping to add to the conversation and not just be a one-off in the conversation. I think that's what you're trying to say. That's right. No, and often, you know, I would revert to logic and logic and data and statistics often don't matter. <laughs> they really don't when it comes to conversation. It really doesn't. You have to come from a strong right. point of view, an emotional point of view. You know, there's a difference between getting emotional and sharing emotion or passion. That usually passion will stimulate at least the thought in the room. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I once had a boss who will go unnamed who challenged me one time and said, Darcy, you need to figure out how to bring all the passion without the emotion. And I just stared at him and said, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
but I understood where he was coming from. And, and that was also a lesson, especially in a very male dominated testosterone culture like Nike. And I say that with all due respect, because as an athlete, I come with a lot of passion and a lot of competitiveness. And I think that's one of the things that helped me in that culture. But still, as a woman, as a woman leader and trying to find her voice, you really have to figure out how to do that in the context of the culture, because you alone can't change it. You can't. The more that there are women that are step into these or sit at the table and have a voice, the easier it becomes for other women to speak. I think that's essential. And for those who are the pioneers like you, myself, and other women who've been in the corporate environment and the only one at the table, we made mistakes. We had to bang around a little bit and find our way. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I also found that when there were two women in the room, we were almost, oh gosh, just kind of set aside over in the corner. There's a couple of women. But when we would hit three in a room, that's when we had a fighting chance to really find our voice. As long as we did not compete with each other. Now that's the other piece of the puzzle. But you know, it's not a bad idea if we're giving tips today. It's not a bad idea that if you are the lead in a conversation in the boardroom to bring in two thought leaders that are also women to support your conversation and add depth to the conversation, especially when we're trying to leverage a different kind of way of being at the table. What do you think of that? That's right. That's right. I think there just needs to be a critical mass. And of course, that's different in every situation, but certainly helps to have critical mass. Well, one thing I remember talking to you about, and I just want to tell the listeners a little more about you, what struck me about you. I can remember sitting in your office one day on a, you had this beautiful couch and you were sitting on the couch and you had just come back from sabbatical. How wonderful that is. Sabbatical. (laughs) You and I were just talking about taking personal time off. Sabbatical. That's right. Remember that. And you had just come from sitting in silence for, I think, at least Mm -hmm. a week or two. And you were saying to me how it added such depth to your understanding of yourself and your understanding of as a woman leader in at Nike, as a matter of fact, and really gave you a scope of how to add your leadership to the overall whole. You remember that? I do. It was a pivotal choice I made to participate in what's called a sacred passage. And these are led by a gentleman named John Milton with the way of nature. And John Milton is also one of the co-founders of the Academy. And it was in February of 2006, I had been leading the global women's footwear apparel equipment business for two years, which was a huge pilot or prototype of how the rest of Nike would one day be organized. And it was very successful. And I found myself in a situation where the next challenge was, where's the next billion dollars of business come from? And I realized I could have cared less about that. My goal in starting that whole process was to get the women's business 
on the leaderboard with the rest of the men's businesses on equal footing. And it had been a real challenge over the years. There had been many other efforts that helped build what finally became the women's footwear apparel equipment business. And so I went on this sacred passage and for three days, you know, we're camping out. This is in Baja, California. And just learning different practices and tools to take into our seven-day solo. And during that solo time, uh, John would recommend no books, no music, no journals, no cameras. Wow. Wow. It's really a time. Yeah, it's really a time to clear the noise and all the distractions that are in our life. And to really just reconnect with yourself in a very deep way and reconnect with the natural world. So I had this beautiful beach that was capped on either side by a headland. And so it was a very private beach. And for seven days, all I could hear was the crashing surf. And it was on the fifth. It was wonderful. And the other recommendation is to fast. So that you don't have that as a distraction either. And there's a whole, you know, cleansing process as well. And I remember on the fifth day, just having this moment, it was probably 30 minutes of absolute clarity around what my role in the world was. And so I came back to Nike and I remember, you know, meeting with the president and just, you know, this rush of words came out. I know what I need to do. It's time for me to leave Nike to get back into my real work. But I think there's one more thing that I want to do. And I remember him saying, whoa, 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 slow down. (laughs) (laughs) And what that ultimately was, that last thing I wanted to do was to take a year and work in the Nike Foundation, which was focused on adolescent girls and young women in the least developed countries in the world. And to really understand what the interventions would be around these cyclic, systemic, abject poverty that about 600 million adolescent girls and young women live in. And I wanted to figure out what the connections or disconnects were between what we were doing at Nike and sustainability and the fact that we were primarily focused on the environmental and economic issues. And this was very much social equity issue. And what I found were more disconnects than connections between the two. And so that was my last job at Nike. And I retired from Nike, but I actually say I graduated from Nike because (laughs) it was 21 years of the best education I could have ever gotten. Yeah, And then that led me to start my own consulting business and ultimately start the Academy for Systems Change. Yes. I I mean, I have to say, very powerful. Yes. Very powerful experience coming from that silence. We talked a lot about, I think each guest that's come to speak on this podcast talks about that moment of silence. Yours was very, very deep silence, though. I mean, fasting in seven days, I don't know if I could do it. I've done some things like that, though. And I think it's critical that you have those times where you really focus on yourself. But look what happens when you take a deep dive like that and go in and find your purpose, how powerful and how strong your voice gets on the other side of that. It's quite incredible. That's right. And in that silence, I remember one thing that 
to this day is still so powerful. And I've done about eight sacred passages in total since then. But to really listen to what the noise is in your life Mm -hmm. and to make a choice in the moment, how much energy am I going to give that? A lot? None? Later? So it was very, very powerful. And there is a lot of noise in our life, Mm -hmm. especially now. And we have limited resources. We have limited energy. We have limited time. So just being very, very intentional around where I put my energy. I've noticed that when we started this conversation, you were talking about how, you know, you had the question about how is it that we're focusing on women's product based on a a man's last or a man's apparel or men's apparel. It should be that we create something for women that really works for them all the way to how do we help women who are struggling financially become more whole. I think that the thing about working with Nike that I found, and I always was the only one, and I was the only woman, and not only the only woman, but often I was the only African-American woman doing the work that I was Mm. doing in the room. And, And so there is an experience of having that, that perception and bringing that different perception (laughs) to the table. Mm -hmm. And I remember you and I talking about the old paradigm that I prefer not to call it the male model. I call it the old paradigm or the paradigm and how there was a shift coming. Remember you and I talking about the old silo system, the military model of leadership and how it's changed so much in business these days. Remember that? I do. And absolutely. It is an old paradigm. In the academy, we talk about that in such a way that, you know, it's an old hierarchical model of leadership where it's very much a command and control, as you said, you know, more of a military style. And that's, you know, that's inherent in most organizations, not just business. But what we're seeing now is because of the complexity of these challenges that we face, they're complex adaptive challenges. It takes a different kind of leadership, and we call that, you know, systems leadership or collaborative leadership or even shared leadership. And it's a very different way of leading. And that's certainly what we're focused on now. And you mentioned in the uh, bio, we call it awareness based systems change. And that comes from being fully aware of how you as a leader impact the system in which you're operating. Mm -hmm. And so also how we show up as leaders and what are the cultivation practices that, you know, we continue to commit to our own self-development and awareness. And we believe that's critical for leaders these days. It's not just the, the outer or the technical, you know, solutions or strategies, but it's that inner work that's so critical as well. It's that inner work, and that's one of the reasons why Darcy and I are bridging right now to create a a program for women that is helping us to step into our leadership, our quality of leadership. We already are bringing such major change to organizations and to business because our perspective is different and it is more collaborative. These are generalizations, but mostly we do bring a more collaborative, a more relationship-oriented, a more 
nurturing way of being to the table that's critical to business today. And I think that that's what we're seeing as some of the ways the systems are changing. Yeah, I agree. It just brought to mind something else that happened in 2006. So that was a pivotal year for me. It's when I went on my sacred passage, decided to leave Nike, although it took two and a half years to actually do that. But later in 2006, I was invited to participate in a gathering in Vancouver, British Columbia called Connecting for Change. And one of the organizers, Charles Holmes, he's also one of the co-founders of the Academy. With his team, they chose 60 private sector leaders and 60 public sector leaders from around the world to convene in Vancouver for three days to really listen to the challenges from the other side. And as part of that, we spent one of those three days with the Dalai Lama. Wow. And it was absolutely amazing. But the day before the Dalai Lama came in, we knew that for one hour of that day with him, we were going to choose 12 of the 120 of us to sit in a, an inner circle and have a conversation with the Dalai Lama. So the 12 women got to spend one hour in the circle with the Dalai Lama. And one of the women asked a question, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but the Dalai Lama began the story, and none of us knew quite where he was going with this, but then as he came to a close, he said, my grandmother is with me every day, and he was pulling at the skin on his forearm, and he said, it is now time for women in the world, and not just Western women, to lead. And it was so powerful then, and it's certainly powerful, and I think true now. Yeah, I got goosebumps just hearing you say that. That's, that's, it's such, I think we can hear this echoing in the, the framework of creation right now and the framework of our world. And it certainly is one of the reasons why I'm committed to doing this podcast and making sure that women have a voice in our world. It's our time to lead. And to be a good leader, you have to have a strong voice. I know that you and I talked about this whole idea that there, this old paradigm in business, this masculine approach, tends to make men a little more fearful when they see it rising up. Do you notice that in your own experience? Well, it's interesting. I, yeah, I was in a conversation last week. We were with our Academy Fellows in Baja, California, and we were asking a group of men, you know, how they feel about this surge of women coming to the forefront, whether it's the Me Too or Time's Up, or I'll be launching a cohort of women with the idea of it's time to redesign leadership. It's time to step away from the old paradigm. And we're also leading in the age of climate change. It's all around us. It's manifesting, you know, in business and nonprofits and government, et cetera. And I was asking the men, you know, what emotion arises? And this idea of fear, men are fearful of their, you know, positional authority being challenged. Mm -hmm. And we got into a very deep conversation around that. You know, I think that's, it's tough to make a general statement, but yes. that was what came out in this conversation. 
That's very revealing. When I first started doing women's leadership training and consulting, I always had someone, one woman would stand up and say, so what about the men? In the beginning, I used Mm -hmm. to get so upset about that. It's like, who cares? We're here to, you know, to power up and empower ourselves. Why do you care? But there is a need to care. And I think the need is to help not only men, but help everyone understand that what we bring to the table is an add value. It's an add value. Exactly. That add exactly. value. Yes. That is how you get a better job done, no matter what it is, to have multiple perspectives. And certainly a woman's perspective and voice at the table is an add value. Nothing to fear. That's right. It's about balancing, you know, the scales and they've just been tipped in one direction for so long. So, you know, it would be wonderful if the emotion, primary emotion wasn't fear, but optimism, anticipation, you know, what's possible and seeing both sides. But, you know, I think it's just going to be part of the journey that we go through And I think it's also incumbent on how women leaders show up. Do Mm. we put them on the defensive or is it an invitation to also participate? Yes, I think that that's an important piece of the puzzle. It's the way we show up. And I think we also, you you mentioned this earlier, I think it's important for us to show up in mass, (laughs) not to challenge, but to show up in solidarity Because I think now it can't just be one woman that does it. It has to be a collective movement together that will make a difference. That's the whole piece that we bring to the table as as women. I'm saying that because Darcy came all the way from Portland, Oregon to Washington, D.C. and stayed with me. And we had a wonderful time at the Women's March a couple of years ago. And just to see what the collective could do. I think a lot of these movements that have sprung out have sprung from that day of solidarity, that ability to stand up and be okay to be a woman with another woman, not judging her or pushing her down, but holding her up as an add value to this country and to the world. Because this was a global phenomenon. It wasn't just in the United States. I couldn't agree more. And I will say, living with a man who is such a balanced, masculine, feminine kind of guy, that works too. And, you know, I think a lot of women, they have, they have a very balanced, feminine, masculine approach as well. So it isn't just about women leading, but it's, it's how we lead. Yes. Yes, it's definitely an addition to the puzzle that's well, well needed. I agree with the Dalai Lama that it's our time. I think our approach is going to help change and expand and deepen. And what I'd like to encourage all of the women that are listening today, and there are men who are now joining us all around the world, I'd like to encourage you to do a couple of things, and then I'll ask you, Darcy, what would you say as the first big three tips? But one thing that I can say is hold each other up in leadership. Encourage one another to lead. Encourage one another to speak up. That's when I say lead, that's what I mean, to speak up and to speak out. And then, then value yourself, other women, 
and know that you're an add value to the table. What would be your your notes and tips that you'd like to give, Darcy? Well, I think the first thing is know what you love, know what you want to conserve in the world, and put all of your resources and your efforts against that. Really commit to the change that you want to make in the world. So that would be number one. I think the second one is just acknowledging that no one person has all the answers in the world and that we do have to collaborate in unprecedented ways going forward. And that requires relationship building, community building, and this sense of collective leadership. And then, let's see, the third one, I think I'll go back to the the inner work that's required and really understanding how you show up, how you occur to others, how you invite others in, and what are those practices that you will commit to to continue your own development. So in the academy, we often talk about, you know, the work really happens at the self level and then how you work with teams or, or networks of people and then within a large organization, and then ultimately, what impact can you have on the global systems that we rely on to thrive? Yes, I agree with that. I'm I'm so happy that you added as the last piece to the puzzle that you do the work to go within the self. Well, I'm excited. Yay. Thank you, Darcy, for being (laughs) with me. We are, the two of us are always chit-chatting. Whenever I get to to Portland, Darcy and I are always going to, you can guarantee we're going to find a great place to sit, usually a nice glass of wine, and we're going to go deep. (laughs) That's us. That's right. We're going to go deep. Yeah. So thank you so much for going deep with me today. I can't say enough about the work that I know that you're doing, the work that we'll do collectively, and the work that I'm doing as well, and how strong a support that our listeners have and the women friends and the ones we haven't even met yet will be to come and meet someone like you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. If people wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Our website is www.academyforchange.org, and folks can contact me through our contact page. Fantastic. I do encourage people to take a look at what they're doing at the Academy of Change. It's just an incredible thing. And to them, from what I see on a, each time we talk, Darcy, there's no limits to what can happen when this group allows and gives experience to other people and their voices. So thanks a lot. If you loved what you heard today, subscribe. If you liked what you got and you loved what you got, also share it with your friends. This is the most important thing. We are a movement. We're not just a conversation. We're out to change and to give and to transform women in a way that their voices make a difference. Thank you, women. Let's express. Thanks, Darcy. Bye. We had a great time today. What I'd like to ask you to do is to rate us. Give us good ones. Review and subscribe. And if you love the time you spent with us and loved our speakers, our interviewees, then share this with your friends. Let's collectively 
Women Express. Thank you for being with me. Bye for now.